0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not non-partisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, We are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available.
1: I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's gonna get worse.
0: And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day, and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again.
1: Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Up next, Rob Smith is Problematic, part of the Gamer 360 Network. Cardi versus Candace, the border crisis, and BLM destroying America. Oh my God, Problematics, we have gotten to 50 episodes. So I'm gonna take you through some of the best moments and some of my favorite things that I've done on this first 50 episodes. This is Rob Smith as Problematic. So first of all, Problematics, thank you so much for listening and joining and supporting me on this journey. This is our 50th episode. Uh, Which means that about a year ago, I launched this podcast, Rob Smith is Problematic, on the iHeartRadio platform, and I was very nervous. This was the first time that I had ever done anything like this. There was a lot of learning, a lot of growing, some good things, some bad things, but I want to focus on the good and there are a lot of different things and a lot of different topics that i've hit uh, over the past year and i know that the audience is growing i know that there's some stuff that some of you may have missed so i kind of want to go through a couple of the things that i think are my favorite things that we've done first of all i know that you guys know that i love pop culture and i'm going to be doing more pop culture in the future because yes Rob Smith is problematic, has just been officially renewed for another year, so we are going to Keep going with this, and I'm so excited about it. What I love the most about pop culture is that politics is downstream from culture. The great Andrew Breitbart said that. And one of my favorite things that I did was earlier on in this run of Problematic, Cardi B, you know the rapper, you know the WAP song and all that, her and Candace Owens, and of course we all know Candace Owens, got into a little tiff on Twitter. It went for a couple of days. It was was absolutely fantastic to watch. And I, I wanna, you know, kind of like share a little bit of this with you, and I want to go back to this because I think that not only because because I, I know her personally, but I think Candace Owens is such an important figure in the conservative movement because she is one of the only ones that is able to hit pop culture. Because when you have an argument with Cardi B on Twitter for the world to hear and it gets covered by entertainment sites, that is hitting the culture. And I had a lot to say about this. I want you to listen my take on the Cardi versus Candace feud. The meaning of Candace versus Cardi. This is not just some fight on the internet. This is not just some cat fight. This is not just Candace Owens scoring easy political points on somebody that is far, far uh, intellectually inferior to her. This is about Candace Owens once again exposing the left and exposing Democrats. Candace Owens just exposed the game for the world to see. Not only did she expose the idiocy of Cardi B, she exposed the contempt that the left has for Black people so much that they use this person to reach Black voters. Wet-ass pussy. Red bottoms. Cardi B. You know, I got this. She talks about, she, she tweeted about, I wonder what pee tastes like. She, this is the thing that she actually tweeted. So this is not some great thinker. This is not somebody who is a political figure. This is somebody that Democrats and the left want to use because they think so little of Black voters and they think so little of the people whose votes they so desperately need that they think the way to get them is not to really engage community leaders. It's not to really talk to successful people in business about ways that we can economically empower African-Americans. They want to talk to the semi-literate rapper that has, I don't know, 50 million followers across social media. They can't even use Black celebrities who have actually achieved things to to push their agenda or, or to even start a conversation. Look at Tyler Perry, right? Tyler Perry makes horrible movies. He makes awful movies. They are terrible. But he knows a thing or two about making money, so why not talk to him about tax policy? Cardi B raps about WAP. She can barely speak. She used to be a stripper. She can barely read. These are all things that we don't mind in rappers, but don't send them to tell Black people about politics. The left has a long history Of using entertainers, athletes, celebrities, everybody to push their leftist agenda on black people. They do this time and time again. And I know I hit kind of some of the same people all the time because they are just so that they just need to be taken down. LeBron James, who is worth over $100 million, but he talks about being hunted as a black man when he walks down the street, which is completely ridiculous. This man probably has private security, obviously has private security. So it's ridiculous. So, so they use him. Who else do they use? was, what other athletes like any rapper, remember chance, the rapper, which was another, this is, um, he's kind of like in that, in that Kanye West realm back when Kanye West went MAGA and then everybody was coming for him and they did all this other stuff. And chance, the rapper was like, hold on, you know, Kanye is Kanye. This is my boy. And I want y'all to know that Black people don't have to be Democrats. And then the Twitter mob tried to cancel him, and he had to literally issue an apology for saying that Black people don't have to be Democrats. This is the stranglehold that Democrats and the left have on these entertainers that are so influential to young Black people. And the reason why so many young Black people look up to these entertainers is because, I mean, we all know what the reasons are. You look up to entertainers and you look up to athletes and celebrities and all that stuff when you don't have anybody in your household to look up to. When you don't have anybody in your real life to look up to, this is who you look up to. When you don't have a father in the home when you're being raised by a single mother who maybe has to work a couple jobs, like who are you? who else are you gonna look up to? A lot of these young Black boys in society don't have male figures. In their lives. So they look up to LeBron James, or they look up to, you know, all of these other athletes, or they look up to Colin Kaepernick, or they look up to all of these false idols that are not giving them anything real. They are telling them that they are victims. And these are the people that they use to push their agenda. Now, what white entertainers are used as political avatars for white people? Is Miley Cyrus sitting down with Kamala Harris and talking about anything? I mean, is that is that a thing that happens? I mean, is, is Justin Bieber talking politics with Pete Buttigieg? No. No. Because white people would rightly ask, what the hell are these people sitting down with these politicians talking about politics for as if these people represent me? Because we all know Miley Cyrus doesn't represent white people. Justin Bieber doesn't represent white people. I don't know. Who would that be? Anne Anne Hathaway? Like, what is I mean, so it is only Black people that are used in this way to court Black voters because the left thinks Black people are stupid. There is literally no other response to this. There's no other explanation for it because the left thinks Black people are stupid. And so the meaning behind this entire Candace Owens, Cardi B thing is exposing it to people. Because right now, but look, the left is in trouble. Democrats are in trouble. And let me just break it down in case you have not heard this before. Maybe this is your first time hearing this. Democrats need upwards of 90% of the Black vote to remain relevant as a political party. They're not getting 90% of the Latino vote. They're getting about roughly at this point 65 to 70%, maybe, maybe 75%. So Latinos are never going to be a, a monolithic voting block like African Americans are. The chief reason that Hillary Clinton lost the election of 2016 to Donald Trump is, is because black people just did not show up for Hillary Clinton. They will not show up for Joe Biden. They're certainly not going to show up for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. These are people that are not exciting to young black voters. And black millennials are smart. Left or right, it doesn't matter. These, like, black millennials know what's up, they know when they're being played. And the most important thing about this whole Candace Owens versus Cardi B situation is that. Number one, Cardi B is dumb enough to give Candace her platform so that she can elevate Candace to even more people and red pill even more people. So that's obviously you know the the, the idiocy from Cardi B's part because you don't I, I have this thing, you know when people try to come for me, I don't I don't give anybody free PR, but she can't resist she's not this not an intelligent person. She can't resist the bait. And so Candace used her in that situation because she knew that she would respond in exactly that way. And she would elevate Candace to people who may never have even heard of Candace Owens before, because a lot of these people that are into culture and and follow these rappers and actors and celebrities and entertainers and whatever, do not really know the conservative media influencers. Like I could do, and I look, and I love Fox News. I do Fox News a lot. I could do Fox News hits for five years and not red pill a 10th of the people that I red pilled when I did the Black Conservatives versus Black Liberals the debate on Vice News. And that is just the truth. So Candace has exposed the game to a lot of these young Black voters who are distrustful of Democrats. This doesn't mean that they're necessarily Republicans. It doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean is that they are distrustful of Democrats. So she has exposed the game. She has exposed to these young Black voters that they so desperately need to show up in November that the left thinks that you are stupid. And these Democrats, young black voters think you are so stupid that they are going to send an illiterate rapper who used to be a stripper to talk about politics with Joe Biden, because they think that that is how they talk to you. So next up, I took on illegal immigration and the border crisis. And it's one of the things that I'm the most proud of that we have done on this podcast. And I'm going to bring you back into that after the break. So, guys, I read everything that you guys write uh, on these podcast reviews, and and I read the Facebook messages, and I read the Instagram DMs, and all of that other stuff. And I take most of it's good, some of it's bad, and I like to take all of that stuff in because I want to be better. I got... A really, really good review of this episode that I'm about to look back on with you. And this guy said, if you listen to nothing else, start with his intro episode. And if you guys are new to me, like, go ahead and go back to that episode. It'll kind of like formulate exactly what this is. And then go to episode 31 on illegal immigration. The point on illegal immigrants being better taken care of or represented more than homeless veterans is so on point. I absolutely love this man. He calls out the left, the right, and himself. And I really appreciated that. So thank you, D62890567. Thank you for that. Because this episode I prepped really hard on because I really wanted to have a full conversation with facts about exactly what is going on with the border crisis and exactly how Biden's movements or or lack thereof on the border and the fact that they changed so much that Trump got so right so quickly and that led to the disaster that we're having right now. And I really came through with the facts on this one. I am glad that this person loved it. And if you have not listened to this before, um, I know you're really gonna get something out of this. So this is my fact-based take on the illegal immigration issue and the border crisis that is facing our country right now. So everybody's talking about the border this week, finally, because Project Veritas and James O'Keefe have gotten in and finally showed us some images of exactly what is going on at this border. We've been hearing a lot of things. We've been wading through a lot of these lies and propaganda and obfuscation that the Biden administration has been doing you know over the past over the past 6 weeks but we can finally see exactly what is going on at the border we see kids basically wrapped up in foil trying to stay warm we see people completely overcrowded we see people in basically cages remember those kids in cages that were alleged to have started during the Trump administration but everybody knows they started during the Obama administration because that was awful policy as well so we're seeing All of these things right now. And if you all do not follow Project Veritas or follow James O'Keefe, look Project Veritas up right now. They are doing what our corporate media will not do, which is actual real investigative journalism. So that is what this is. So we're finally seeing these images. And obviously, these images outrage and horrify everyone. And yeah, I'm going to come back to this later, but I want to get something very clear right now. The left likes to talk about any conversation and it likes to frame any conversation about illegal immigration, any conversation about this crisis at the southern border. Anything that is happening, the left wants to frame this conversation as inherently racist, as inherently xenophobic, as inherently all of these things that they use to control language. And this is none of these things. This is about security. This is about human rights. This is about controlling what's going on at the border. So before we launch into all of this stuff, let's start with some basic facts about exactly what is going on at this border. And this is from Department of Homeland Security from uh, from 2019. These are statistics from DHS in 2019. In the past two years, this is from 2019 again, ICE officers have arrested 266,000 aliens with criminal records, including those convicted of nearly 100,000 assaults, 30,000 sex crimes, and 4,000 homicide, right? Between 2011 and 2018, 276,000 criminal aliens were booked into local jails, of which over 186,000 were classified as illegal aliens. 10,000 known or suspected gang members were removed by ICE just in one year alone. Each week, 300 Americans die from heroin overdoses, of which 90% comes across the southern border. Customs and Border Protection made the largest seizure of fentanyl ever recorded attempting to cross the southern border. It was enough to kill more than 115 million Americans. One in three women are sexually assaulted on the journey to the border. In fiscal year 2018, ICE made more than 1,500 human trafficking arrests. 97% of these were for sex trafficking. Now let's talk about the kids, because everybody cares about these kids. Let's talk about what these kids are really going through when they're coming across the border. 20,000 children were illegally smuggled into the United States. In the first five months of fiscal year 2018, Customs and Border Protection saw a 315% increase in individuals using children to pose as family units to gain entry into the United States. Now, do you remember how our corporate media treated the stance that the Trump administration made towards getting control over the border? Do you remember that Cover of Time magazine with Donald Trump hovering over this screaming child at the border. And this was what they did. You know, this was this evil Trump doesn't care about the kids, doesn't care about anything else. Do you remember any of that stuff? Now, this same corporate media basically colludes with Democrats and with the left to hide everything that is going on at the border right now. They cannot hide this anymore because Project Veritas has released this imagery, right? So I started with all of these statistics because when we're talking about the border, we have to be very clear about exactly why this is bad. It is bad to have a border that is not secure because we have illegal drugs coming over, because we have gang members coming over, because we have MS-13 members, gang members coming over, because we have sex trafficking because we have children that are coming over and being exploited. I remember when I first came out as conservative, when I first started doing videos on social media, this was back when all of my New York City liberal friends used to follow. And I asked a very simple question. And this question was about critical thinking. And the question that I asked was this, how are we so sure that all of these family units coming across the border are related to one another. And this guy, this New York City liberal that I used to be friends with, he used to follow me, he said, well, Rob, this is disgusting. This is just a revolting question. Of course they're family members, of course. But we do not know that because the conversation is not being had about sex trafficking, about these children that are coming over and being exploited in so many different ways about these unrelated people that are coming together, about these desperate families that are in these places, Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, that are handing their children over to these coyotes, to these smugglers, and and paying the money to get the child over the border. So nobody's talking about these things. And so when we talk about this stuff, it's not about racism. We're not being racist. We're not hating anybody. We love America and we love this country enough to want to protect Americans at all costs because at what point did America have to start taking in all of the world's problems? And I hate to do this because th- what I'm about to say is such a it, it's such a stereotype but it's so true. We have a homeless veteran population in this country that has exploded. And we take care of people coming across the border more than we take care of even our homeless veterans. And to me, it's unacceptable. And this situation has been used as a political football for so many years. And I'm gonna have to say that for Republicans and a lot of small business owners and everything like that, they exploited this situation for a very long time because it was good for them. They exploited the fact that people will come over here and do jobs for less money because that is good for people. If you live in New York City, if you live in one of these big cities and trust me, guys, I lived in New York City for 12 years. There is not a restaurant in New York City that is not employing cheap, illegal immigrant labor. It is absolutely true. And this is something that people on both sides have used for quite some time because it benefited them. And this is an example of elites on both sides selling America out. And there are even some so-called Republicans right now that are co-signing on to to amnesty bills and and talking about giving a lot of illegal immigrants that are in the country right now citizenship and things like that. And so you have to understand when we talk about the situation that there are elites on both sides that have used this because it has benefited them. But we are at the point where this is not benefiting anybody anymore. Okay, period. This is not benefiting anybody anymore. This crisis that we have on the border is not benefiting anybody. It is not helping anybody. It is encouraging these illegal immigrants to take a very dangerous journey where a lot of the younger ones and weaker ones are likely to be exploited. It is putting a strain on America's resources. It is bringing crime, it is bringing drugs. It is bringing trafficking. It is bringing all of these things into this country. And that is the truth. Any conversation about unchecked illegal immigration in this country is not inherently racist. That is not true. But this is a tactic that the left uses to make sure um, that people are too afraid to have this real conversation. And what the left also does when it comes to illegal immigration is they like to pretend as if all Latinos in America just love illegal immigration, that is also not true. Just check out how many people are voting for Republicans in places like Miami, right? In places with a large Latino population. So this idea that all Latinos in America just love illegal immigration is not true. And so you have to understand what is going on right now, And you have to get into some of the numbers about what is going on right now. Again, more numbers. And this is literally from 2020 to 2021. And this is from U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Single adults crossing the border is up 188%. Unaccompanied minors passing is up 92%. So this is what we are dealing with right now. And what I want to talk about next, now that we know exactly what is going on, now that we can see with our own two eyes every single thing, or at least a little bit, of what's going on at the border, let's talk about how the Biden administration has encouraged this through policy. Because I really want to talk about policy here. You know, I talk a lot about real world stuff, but let's talk about some facts. And these are a couple of the policies that Biden reversed literally within the first week to two weeks of his presidency. Listen to this. And this is from the Fox News research team, We're gonna. I'm always going to cite my sources. I'm not going to call myself a journalist, but I'm not going to sit here and then tell people lies and things that are not fact based. Joe Biden enacted a 100 day moratorium on deportations. He ended the remain in Mexico provision, suspended the safe third country agreement. Now, this was the agreement that Trump had with Mexico, with these different places that they would take control of this situation before these people even got to the border. Right. They halted the construction of border wall and they also reinstated catch and release, which means that when these people are caught after having Cross the border illegally. Oh, we got to release them. OK, guys, you know, make sure you show up for your court date. And the illegal address oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, sure. A plus. I'll definitely show up for that. Obviously, these people don't show up. And so these policies, the reversing of these policies are what led to the disaster that is going on at the border right now. What Jen Psaki and everybody over there in the Biden administration don't want to call a crisis, but everybody knows it's a crisis. We are all seeing this stuff with our own two eyes right now. And the left and Democrats will look at you because I'm telling you, these people think that you're stupid and they will go on television and they will look into the camera with a straight face And say that the reason that there's a crisis on the border right now is because of President Trump. And they believe that people are stupid enough to believe it. And the sad thing is that there are people dumb enough to believe it because we have just gotten through four years of the corporate media pretty much hiding every single real thing that was being done in this country under the Trump administration and devolving into leftist propaganda and anything that was going to keep people distracted from what is really going on. And you would be surprised, guys, how many people are not aware of these things. You would be surprised how many people do not know about the safe third country agreement, how many people do not know about the Remain and Makes Good Provision? How many people do not know about the real policies that were going on? And so now what we have is this disaster. So now that we know that we have the disaster and we can finally see exactly what is going on in these facilities at the border. And what I think doesn't get a lot of play is that these socialist policies that are coming from the left are being subtly used to entice illegal immigrants to come over. It's true. Let's take in free college, for example, right? We talk a lot about free college, and and you guys all know how I feel about the public education system and the student loan debt crisis and all that stuff. It's in previous podcasts. If if you're new, go check it out. But now, so the left has made, quote unquote, free college a talking point to the point where, and this is some data that comes from the National Conference of State Legislatures, 17 states in the District of Columbia offer in-state tuition to illegal immigrants, and they have done this via state legislative action. And so they have enacted laws to allow in-state tuition benefits for illegal immigrants, basically, younger ones. Typically require attendance and graduation at state high schools, acceptance at a state college or university, blah, blah, blah. And so we have to realize nowadays that when AOC and the socialists of the left and their ilk, when they're talking about these things... They are not necessarily talking to Americans per se. They are talking to the far left. They are talking to white liberals, but they are also talking to illegal immigrants. They are speaking to illegal immigrants. They are. They are basically saying you cannot push free college. You cannot push free healthcare. You cannot push free, 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 free. And then also make yourself, quote unquote, the party of diversity inclusion. We love everybody, Latino lives and brown people and all of that other stuff. So these things are all interconnected. And this message that if you come here, this is what you will get is being disseminated. And these illegal immigrants are getting this message. And I want you to hear that now these people are saying, actively saying and admitting that they're coming here because of Biden. I want you to hear ABC News did an interview with an illegal immigrant that has crossed the border. I want you to listen to, to what he said.
2: Would you have tried to do this when Donald Trump was president? Definitely not. Definitely. We had the chance, you know, that the same violence that is going on today was there last year. We used to watch the, the news and... Uh, I definitely won't do this.
0: So did you come here because Joe
2: Biden was elected president? Basically, basically.
1: Okay, so this is what you're hearing right now. There's an illegal immigrant that is basically saying basically, basically that he has come here because of Joe Biden, basically because Trump is not president. And look. We need to be very clear about the dual messages that were being sent. There was a message that was being sent under the Trump administration. The message was, do not come illegally. We are building the wall to make sure that you do not come illegally. We are empowering customs and border protection to make sure that you do not come illegally. We are making sure that Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, has the tools to do their job to ensure that you do not come illegally. And now the Biden administration is sending the message by turning the clock back on all these different things it's done. They are sending the message that this border is open, come over, and when you get over, we will take care of you. We will protect you. And this has already started. So now, when we get back to this free healthcare issue, right? You know, free healthcare, healthcare for all, healthcare is a human right, all of this other stuff. Now you get to the point where Rite Aid is basically nationally apologizing because an undocumented immigrant, an illegal immigrant, was denied a COVID 19 vaccine, right? And so this is what happened. And this is from Fox Business. The son of one of two women that were denied the COVID-19 vaccine took to social media after the March 14th incident, saying he was, quote, appalled by the situation and that his mom was sobbing. Now, listen to this. This is the important part. Right aid asked for her Social Security number and the woman at the front kept stating that they were not vaccinating people that were undocumented. My mom was literally sobbing and I'm literally appalled. And so this goes semi-viral. And now Rite Aid has to release a statement that's saying, oh, this is an isolated incident. Everybody can can get the vaccine, all of that other stuff. And so now you have a situation where, like I said, again, taxpayer dollars, obviously, paying for the COVID-19 vaccine, all of this different stuff. But this is a tracking issue. So if they cannot track who was vaccinated via things like uh, social security number, ID, anything like that, then how are we supposed to know who's getting vaccinated and who's not? And so we listen to the left telling all these stories about like, oh, we have to you know push this vaccine in black and brown communities. We have to do all of this other stuff, blah, 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 blah. But then there's no way to keep track of it. And there is no reason why anybody that is in this country illegally That will be put in front of a natural born American citizen for this COVID-19 vaccine, which is, by the way, not a vaccine that I'm taking, but it is something that should be available, I would think, to native born people before somebody that was an illegal immigrant. Right. And so this is what is going on here. And when I say that these policies, these leftist policies, welfare state, all of that stuff, when I say that this stuff is being used to entice illegal immigrants, I'm not just talking out of my neck here. And this is another um, statistic that comes from the Center for Immigration Studies. 63% of non-citizen households in America use welfare programs, some form of welfare, right? So the idea that they're like, oh, my God, you know, these illegal immigrants, they come over and they're just working and they're paying into the system and all of that stuff. That very well may be true right? that very well may be true that there's some stimulation of the economy that comes, that there's some systems that they're paying into, all of that other stuff. It doesn't add up when it comes to the amount of welfare and basically welfare programs and benefits that non-citizen households use at 63%. And so now that all of this stuff is happening at the border, that this disaster is going on, now we're getting reports, and this is another very real thing, that the Biden administration is spending $90 million to house immigrants, illegal immigrants, in hotel rooms. So this, again from Fox, the Biden administration has awarded an $86.9 million contract for hotel rooms near the border to provide temporary shelter and processing services for families who have not been expelled from the United States but have been placed in immigration proceedings for their removal. But wait, because we just found out that there is a 100-day moratorium on deportations and that catch and release has been reenacted, correct? So what we're seeing is the Biden administration and the left and Democrats seemingly doing everything in their power to entice illegal immigrants here. There is literally no other way to state this, because if you look at what the Biden administration has done in terms of turning back some of the more successful policies of the Trump administration, When you look at the money that they're throwing to house these people in hotel rooms, 87 million of of taxpayer dollars, by the way. And now we're figuring out um, finally the Biden administration is coming back around and saying that, oh, no, wait a minute. You know, even though we said that taxes would definitely not be increased for for any families making $200,000 a year, now we've just upped that. So now taxes won't be increased for anybody making under $400,000 a year. So basically, What taxpayers are spending on illegal immigration is going up, but yet those dollars are not being spent to try to enact policies or to try to do anything that would secure the border in any real way. I'm going to wrap up this conversation and move on to something else, but I really want you guys to think about this. What is the end goal to this policy? Because these things are not done on accident. Okay, so what is the end goal to taxpayer dollars going to illegal immigrant care? What is the end goal to completely reversing policies that help secure the border? What is the end game to that? Well, the end game has to be to move as many illegal immigrants across the border as they possibly can, rush through amnesty, turn them all into to citizens and make them all Democrat voters. And when people say this stuff that, you know, it, they make you sound like a, a conspiracy theorist, they make you sound like an idiot. They make you sound like you're making stuff up. But the logical end game to all of this stuff cannot be anything, but the idea that they want to literally import millions more potential new voters. I don't know any other way to explain it because The only other way to explain it is absolute incompetence. And I do not think that the left are incompetent. I think that they're actually evil geniuses. These people are aware of exactly what they are doing. These people are aware of exactly what the long game is. These people play long term. They know that if they get all these people over here, during the Biden administration, as many as they can possibly get over, if we, God, God willing, we elect another Republican that is actually going to do something about this border and get eight years of that, they know that they've got a limited amount of time that the border is going to be as open as it is so that they can import all of their new voters here. And they are using this time to do exactly that. I don't know what the answer to all of this is under a Biden administration, but I do know that if there is not more pressure put on them about this border crisis, about Biden's border crisis, they will use this opportunity to import as many illegal immigrants as they possibly can while they are in power. So the only thing that we can do is put the pressure on them. Let them know that we are aware of their game and, God willing, take back this house in 2022. Next up, you guys know that I have a lot to say about Black Lives Matter. And we're going to look back at one of the episodes where I really took BLM on and I really broke down exactly why it is destroying America. That's right next after the break. So if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I have a lot to say that is very hypercritical of BLM, Inc., Black Lives Matter, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, if you listen to some earlier episodes, you would know that there are some maybe a few good things that I had to say about at least some of the initial goals of the movement before I descended into leftism, chaos, violence and destruction. I go into BLM a lot. Uh, I was looking through the the past 50 episodes, and I was like, okay, this is something that I take on a lot, but this is something that's always coming up in the news, and I try to stay current. But I did an episode called BLM is Destroying America, and I I really want you to, to listen to this because I really did break down the cultural, the political, the financial cost that BLM has taken from black America. So I I really want you to listen to this. I, I think I broke it all down. And you know what? Even after you get done with this, there's a lot more for you to listen to. And I'm pretty sure there's more to come about BLM. But for now, take a listen. BLM Inc. Black Lives Matter, whatever you want to call it, is in the process of destroying America economically, socially, and culturally. This cannot be understated. The negative net impact that BLM Inc., that Black Lives Matter, that all of these protests, that every single thing that we are going through as an American society right now, what we are going through and the, the impact that this has on us cannot be understated. And I believe, I truly believe that the impact is negative. This is a net negative. Black Lives Matter Inc. and Black Lives Matter is a net negative for America. And every time, and and I promise you guys, I don't want to sit here and talk about BLM Inc. every single week. I don't want to sit here and talk about race every single week. There are so many more interesting and important things to speak about in the society. The reason I continue to, to talk about this and the reason that I continue to bring it up is because... We have to start thinking about cultural impacts of this stuff, social impacts of this stuff, economic impacts of this stuff. And that is what I wanted to talk about this week. So, so first, I want to talk about the social costs of, of BLM Inc and these social costs that we are paying as American society, black people, white people, Hispanics, et cetera, these social costs are very high. And when I think about the cost that we as Americans are paying when it comes to BLM Inc., when it comes to all these protests, I just think of what is happening in Minneapolis right now. In this very moment in Minneapolis, we are going into the closing arguments for this Derek Chauvin, George Floyd case. This is yet another um, racially tinged incident that has rocked the country, that has torn us apart on racial lines all the time. And what is going on right now is that this city is on edge. This city is now Minneapolis. Stores are boarding up. People are leaving the city. People are are getting out of the city. All of this stuff is happening because they just do not know what is going to happen if Derek Chauvin is not convicted. Right. If this man is not convicted of, of killing and murdering George Floyd, because that is what the narrative has said. And they have to. Board this city up and they have to prepare for riots because these are not protests. These are actual riots and they have to prepare for this because if this does not go the way that the BLM mob and that the woke Twitter mob um, and that the far left wants it to go, they will burn this city down. They have showed you that they will burn the city down because they burned it down last summer. And so you have we've had rioting every night. In minneapolis we've had businesses boarded up again because terrified business owners fear more riots so this is one of the main social costs of blm inc that we are dealing with right now and the craziest thing about all of this is that this is now normalized in america it is now normalized that there is a city that is bracing for riots this is now apparently what we do during the summers in america now because this is what we've done pretty much every summer since what 2013 2014 has there been a summer without a blm riot since 2013 2014 i do not know and the most interesting thing about this is is that our quote unquote unifier in chief joe biden he ran on uniting america And he ran that, uh, you know, America was going to get back to normalcy and we were going to get back to business. America has not gone back to normalcy because this is not normal. And none of us should ever accept this as being normal. But this is what was pushed. And this is the exact opposite of what is happening right now. I remember speaking to a friend leading up into the election. This friend was a Republican. This friend was about to vote for Trump again. And he said, you know what? I'm I'm thinking about voting for Joe Biden because you know what? I just want this all to go away. I want everybody to calm down. And I told this friend, I said, do not let the far left hold your vote hostage like this, because I promise you, I promise you that this will not end. If Joe Biden gets into office and I was absolutely correct, this is not going to end anytime soon. It certainly wasn't going to end with Joe Biden being in office because he is such a weak leader. He's such an ineffectual leader. Um, He is so fundamentally flawed and weak in so many different ways. He will say whatever the far left wants him to say, whatever the left wants him to say because he wants to go down in history as being the most quote unquote progressive president. And as I've told you all before, they would like for these riots to continue on indefinitely. They want this stuff because what this stuff does is it distracts from their failures that are going on right now. And I've told you guys this before. And so now not only is it normalized that we have this entire city. That is on edge. That is that is being boarded up because they are so afraid. What is going to happen if this this man is not convicted of of murder uh, or, or manslaughter whatever whatever they want him convicted of? I believe that they that the the, the mob wants him convicted of first degree murder. So this is what they want. And if they do not get it, they will burn down. They will burn down Minneapolis. They will burn the city again, even more. Speaking of things that are not normalized, but now are in this this BLM era that we're in. We have a sitting member of Congress advocating for more violence and more strife in the the streets, as if we are not divided enough as a country right now. I want you to listen to what Maxine Waters had to say to reporters and and to a a crowd of of people in Minneapolis.
2: We're looking for a guilty... and we're looking to see if all of the talk that took place and has been taking place after they saw what happened to George Floyd, if nothing does not happen, then we know uh, that we've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. But I am very hopeful, and I hope uh, that we're going to get a verdict that is say guilty, 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 and if we don't, we, got, we cannot go. Away.
1: And not just manslaughter, right? I mean,
2: oh, no, not manslaughter. No, no, no. This is, this is guilty for murder. I don't know whether it's in the first degree, but as far as
1: I'm concerned, it's first degree. What should protesters do? Well,
2: we, we got to stay on the street uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need this.
1: We have got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. And this is very rich coming from Maxine Waters. And before I get into that, let's talk a little bit about Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters has been in Congress for 30 years. Okay. Um, Maxine, Waters has, Maxine Waters has lived in Congress for 30 years, uh, has been in Congress for 30 years. Maxine Waters lives in a $6 million home outside of, of that district. Maxine Waters District in Inglewood um, has a, a, I believe, a 17 percent poverty rate. They have an 18 percent um, proficiency rate when it comes to math. And so people like Maxine Waters, this is what they do. A do nothing like Maxine Waters, who has been sitting in Congress for 30 years, doing absolutely nothing but enriching herself while her districts, multiple districts, by the way, because she has moved districts three times in 30 years. So while these districts are crumbling around her, she uses this racial strife and she uses these moments to enrich herself so that she can raise more funds. So that she can get another house so that she can be seen as doing anything at all for black America when she has done absolutely nothing for the past 30 years. And that is what's so despicable uh, about people like Maxine Waters. That is what's so despicable about how the whole Black Lives Matter movement has been used by people that are already wealthy and already powerful as an excuse to further divide America. But to also manipulate you and particularly manipulate African-Americans into thinking that they're doing anything for the black American community. And this is what irritates me so much about this whole thing. And when we talk about the, the social costs of BLM Inc., what nobody wants to talk about is the mental toll that stuff like this really takes on on black Americans. Nobody really wants to talk about that because look, there are there are two camps here. There are the black liberals that Talk about BLM Inc. And they talk about Black Lives Matter and they do all this stuff and they run around to the the news networks and they do their podcasts and they do all this stuff. And they say, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of talking about racism. But this is just what I have to deal with every day as a black person in America. You know, this is what they do. You know, this is this is how they earn their money. This is how how they get their homes. And, And we'll get into that in the next segment. But what I am so concerned with and what I think is the biggest social cost here is the social cost to the psyche, to the minds of black Americans who actually believe this stuff. They believe this stuff. They take all of this stuff in and it starts affecting how they move through the world on a daily basis. This affects how they see their opportunity for success in the world. This affects how they see um, their interactions with with uh, white Americans and and people that are non-black in this world. It affects how they see their interactions with police officers in this world. It affects every single thing. And this is negative because let me tell you something. There is no empowerment in victimhood. There is no empowerment in going through the world and seeing yourself as a victim in this victimhood narrative, this disempowerment, this idea that the entire world is out to get you because you are black in America. This is the main social cost of Black Lives Matter, of BLM Inc., because they are infecting millions of Black Americans with this message, we in America, America has the wealthiest African American population of anywhere in the world. That is right here in America. And there are people that are that are using this this Black Lives Matter hustle. There are people that are using this to enrich themselves and that that's not what I'm talking about. We'll get more into that. But the social cost of Black Lives Matter, Inc., of Black Lives Matter to America. And specifically to black americans is that we are and these people are encouraging and quote-unquote inspiring an entire generation of brilliant talented smart black americans that live in the one place in the world that is going to give them the most opportunity for economic development, for social development, for cultural development of anywhere else in the world. And the cost of Black Lives Matter is that this talent, this talented group of people are being told by their media, by their celebrities, by these activists, by their politicians, by everyone else. That they should see themselves in this world as absolutely nothing but victims of what they're being told is a fundamentally racist country. And I cannot think of a bigger social and societal cost to this country than that. Now, it's not only a social cost that Black Lives Matter Inc. is costing America. But what about the economic costs? What about the economic costs of this movement that is basically leaderless, that can basically activate hordes of people on any street, in any city in America, virtually overnight? What are the economic costs to this? If you live in a city or if you're near a city that inadvertently finds itself targeted by BLM Inc. Well, let's just let's just crunch some of the numbers here. Now, you may remember, I believe it was uh, it was middle of last year. There's a man named Jacob Blake that was shot, uh, I believe, uh, eight times by police officers, black men claimed he was unarmed. That ended up being a lie Um, Claimed that the cops were called on him by accident. That ended up being a lie. There was so much about that story that ended up being a lie. But that didn't matter because Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is where this happened, burned. Kenosha, Wisconsin, and and we've seen it. I talked to you guys last week about the BLM Inc. hustle. We've seen all of this stuff and how it happens. So when Kenosha, Wisconsin, became um, a a flashpoint for for this BLM Inc., a flashpoint for these protests, and we saw the rioting and the unrest and all of that stuff, Kenosha, Wisconsin's property damage Was to the tune of $50 million. $50 million in property damage, right? And so now there is an argument that comes from the far left or that comes from the left that says, well, you know, this is about people because property damage, people have insurance for that. But ho, ho, that is not exactly true. And let's break this down right quick. Now, this is an article written by um, a man named uh, Brad Palumbo that is on feed.org. And this is very, very interesting because this is Putting a, a, a big hole in the idea that this doesn't matter because these places, oh, they just can get insurance and it's okay. So this is from him. Um, 75% of US businesses are underinsured and about 40% of small businesses have no insurance at all. Their untold millions and losses do not show up in the $2 billion figure. Because he was talking about this was the George Floyd Floyd riots. And when he talks about that $2 billion, he's not only talking about the property damage, but the long-term economic impact of these riots. And you want to talk about long-term economic impact of these riots? Look at Detroit. Look at what's still going on in some parts of L.A. The Detroit riots were in the 60s. The LA, L.A. riots were in the early 90s. And the long term economic impact of this stuff is still being felt to this very day. So that kind of puts a pin, you know, in in this idea that, oh, everybody has insurance. So it doesn't really matter that we're burning these places down because they have insurance. It doesn't matter that we are destroying these small businesses, the majority of which or a big number of which are black owned because they have insurance. We're going to destroy this block because they have insurance. We're going to destroy that target because they have insurance. We're going to destroy that Walgreens because they have insurance. We're going to destroy that coffee shop. That was somebody's dream to put in their own community because they have insurance. And when they get done destroying these cities, and this is what I've never understood. I have never understood the idea behind destroying The neighborhood that you live in. So these neighborhoods that are being destroyed in the BLM protests and the BLM riots and all of this other stuff, these are generally neighborhoods in urban centers. These are neighborhoods in which the majority of people are black and brown and they are getting completely decimated, completely destroyed. And I don't know if you guys watch a lot of these clips on Twitter because I see them every single day. You know, social media is my job. I'm on Twitter a lot. I see them every single day. Some resident stands up and they say, take that stuff somewhere else. There was one um, with these these uh, these protests in in the Brooklyn Center and in Minneapolis where a guy he was. This man was so infuriated. He was shaking. He was furious. He was shaking. He runs up to these people and he says, take that somewhere else. Do not bring that here. Don't bring this here. Don't bring this here because he knows exactly what's going to happen. Once these riots come to these places. And so, again, when we talk about what is happening during these protests, when we talk about the economic impact, there is an economic impact. There's also um, an impact of people's lives. There were there were people that died during this unrest that nobody ever talks about. And I want to get back into these long term economic impacts, because so often As we go through this process, as we go through this now summer ritual of seeing cities completely destroyed by these Black Lives Matter protests, we don't talk about the long term impacts. And so this is, again, from Brad Palumbo. I believe that this is uh, from the National Review this time. Riots have a lasting shadow on a city that haunts its economy for decades. The afflicted areas face higher insurance rates, lower property values, higher prices, reduced tax revenue, and decreased economic opportunity. Right. And so let's talk about some numbers. One study of the 1992 Los Angeles riots concluded that not only did the destruction cost $1 billion in initial property damage, over time, it led to an economic decline of $3.8 billion in sales activity and at least $125 million in tax revenue. You ever wonder why all of these riots always seem to happen in dim machine-run cities? Because they are always, always in deficits. And this is, again... A 2005 study examining similar riots in the 1960s found, quote, negative, persistent and economically significant effects of riots on the value of black owned housing to the degree of a 10 percent decline in the total value of black owned property in cities. So now not only are these riots in these cities destroying the, the, the cities themselves, right? So like I said, no Walgreens, no Dollar Tree, no Target, no any of this stuff. So this stuff is gone and this stuff is destroyed. And I will give the leftist this. Granted, a Target or a major, um, a major corporation, yes, they will likely be able to get some insurance. I don't disagree with that. But what about the local, the local liquor store? What about the local restaurants? What about the local coffee shops? They don't care about that. And this idea that these riots are hurting Black-owned housing, their property values are dropping, these things, these riots, these protests are actually hurting the economic value that Black Americans have when they buy into these, into these cities. And that just doesn't go away when the media moves on. That stuff doesn't just go away when BLM Inc. decides to go destroy another city. That stuff lingers on and I've told you guys I have been to Minneapolis and I have seen it with my own two eyes and there is no way. And I'm telling you guys, as somebody that has seen this with my own two eyes and walked those streets downtown, there is absolutely no way that Minneapolis, that area, I believe it's called the the Lake Street. There is no way that that area is going to look like anything for at least a decade. And so when we talk about the economic impacts of this stuff, think about how when that's all said and done, when everybody moves on, why on earth, and, and I'm serious about this, why on earth would anybody want to go back there to rebuild? Why on earth would anybody, black, white, purple, green, or whatever, want to buy a house there? Why would anybody want to expose themselves like that financially when you know that the exact same thing can happen again? We don't speak enough about the detrimental economic impact that these riots have on these cities. Because you know what? When MSNBC goes into these things and and you know they've got their live shot with a burning building in the background, and they try to to tell you and assure you that this is a mostly peaceful protest because these people think that you are stupid. And when you know one of the one of the CNN idiots, you know runs and and, and you know goes to try to interview people and and all of that stuff, they run to go do there because you know that's quote unquote their job. and you know, uh, they need ratings and all that other stuff. So they go do it. And then everybody, you know, I I went down there. I went to Minneapolis last summer. You know, I recorded something on the streets. I I was devastating because nobody cared after it was over. And so when all of these people leave, what is left? Nothing. Damaged buildings. Burned down blocks economic damage that will take decades to recover from. And that economic damage, by the way, isn't felt by people like Maxine Waters, who live in six million dollar houses. In fact, that economic damage is not even felt by people like Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors, because if you have been paying attention, oh, well, Patrice Cullors, who co-founded Black Lives Matter, Is now the proud owner of a real estate portfolio that is worth to the tune of three and a half million dollars. Now, let's just break down, you know, some of her property. Now, this comes from the New York Post, and this was a big thing when this broke earlier last week. But let's just break this down in case you haven't forgotten. Let's break down the real estate portfolio of the the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. So there's a $1.4 million home in Topanga Canyon in Los Angeles, which, uh, you know, Jason Whitlock was was smart enough to point out. And then he got locked out on Twitter for doing so. That Topanga Canyon has a black population of about one point nine percent. So, you know, she's definitely for the people there. Conyers, Georgia, four hundred fifteen thousand dollar three bedroom house with an airplane hanger, because, you know, you have to fly privately. When you're fighting for social justice and you're fighting for the people in the streets, you know, just flying privately just makes it a lot more convenient. Inglewood, Los Angeles, Maxine Waters District. Surprise, surprise. Three bedroom, one and a half bath that is worth $775,000 right now after she purchased it in 2016 for $510,000. And finally, just a nice, polite $720,000 four-bedroom, two-bathroom home in South Los Angeles. You know, just a little bit. You know, not too much. Just $3.5 million worth of real estate for somebody who has started this movement because she is fighting so hard for Black lives that she doesn't even want to live around Black people. She's fighting so hard for, uh, for the, the economic empowerment of black Americans in this country, she co-founded a movement that literally destroys black neighborhoods on a yearly basis. At this point, we're looking at probably three, four, five black owned, black, uh, majority black neighborhoods a year that are completely destroyed by these BLM protests. So, you know, think about the economic costs of Black Lives Matter, Inc. Think about that. And think about exactly who isn't bearing any of the economic costs of these protests. People like Maxine Waters and people like the BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors. Before we go, I want to thank my fellow problematics so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at RobSmithOnline. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, researcher Aaron Kliegman, and executive producers, Debbie Myers, and speaker Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. It's
0: time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.